All right, so let's come ahead and bring it back in. We'll get started here in our text this morning. I'll go ahead and open us up in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and read our text this morning. So, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come and hear from your word. We just thank you that... Um, your word is powerful, it is living and active. We thank you as we've been reminded this morning as we worship you in song that you are holy, that you are the king of kings, that you are lord of lords, that you reign over all, and that you are in control. So I just ask as we look at your word that you would open our hearts and our minds to truth, and that you'd be glorified and praised. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing our series in Mark this morning. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to 72. So if you have your copy of God's Word and open to there, and then once you are there, we will stand. We will go ahead and read our text together. It's coming out of Mark 14, 66 through 72. It says, While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's servants came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, this man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway, and a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him there again, she began to tell those standing nearby, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there came and said to Peter again, You certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Lord, we just thank you for your word once again. We thank you for this opportunity we have to learn. And I just ask, Lord, that as uh, I go over this text right now, be your words, not mine. And I just ask that the, for each of our hearts, we would just hear the truth that you have from your word. And not just hear it, Lord, but as you also challenge us in James to go out and apply it into our lives. We just pray for that this morning. We pray that your name would be lifted high, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So with this text, it would be very easy just to start and dive right into it, but it's great to have context, and we really need to have the context overall of Peter's denial. It really sets the scene to be able to understand what is going on. So we, to go back and give some context, context, we know the Last Supper has happened, the final supper Jesus had with his disciples before he would be crucified. We know that during that last supper, Jesus told them that one of them would betray them. And he had a long discussion in the upper room with the disciples. You can read a lot of that in the book of John. And then something interesting happens towards the end, and I didn't catch this. So we know Jesus has washed their feet, including Judas, the one who's going to betray him. We know that they've just had the first communion. Jesus has instituted communion. And then here, they're just about to leave, and the disciples are arguing who is the greatest again at Jesus' final meal with them. I had not caught that before. I thought that was really interesting, that all the way up to the end, the disciples are still arguing who's the greatest. And so Jesus, once again, has to remind them of his servant nature, that we are to serve as Christians. We are to be servant leaders. And then he says, and Peter here, <laughs> Peter then tells Jesus that he's never going to fall away. He's not going to fall away even if all others do. Just kind of this pride and arrogance that even if the other 11 disciples abandon Jesus, Peter says, I'm never going to do that. And Jesus then gave him that prediction that Peter, three times tonight, before the rooster crows, 
you will disown that you even knew me three times. And I was just even thinking about that, even before we jump into our text, just seeing Peter's pride here in giving this declaration that he would never deny Jesus. I had to ask myself, where is pride setting me up in my own life to fall? We know in 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about be careful that you think you stand lest you fall. And then we go right into verse 13 where it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond you are, what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Yeah, there's a very key in 1 Corinthians 10. It's not our strength. It's not our power that we're going to be able to resist whatever temptations or difficulties come our way. Is reliance upon the Lord's power. So let's keep that in the back of our minds as we're going forward. So they leave the Last Supper. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays three times. We see the disciples fall asleep on him. And then we see that Judas brings this great crowd of people to arrest Jesus. Jesus is arrested. We see Peter lashing out with his sword. We see Jesus telling him to put his sword away. And then Jesus is taken away to this sham trial, as we heard about last week as Nate preached, where the Jewish governing authorities are breaking every single rule they've ever had in place for a just trial because they hate Jesus that much. And we see Peter now. He's following Jesus at a distance. Nate talked about that last week. You do not want to follow Jesus at a distance. When we start to distance ourselves from the Lord, we set ourselves up for some pretty dangerous things, and that brings us to our text today. Now, I thought when I read this text, we could have the shortest sermon ever. I could say, Peter denies Jesus three times. Don't deny Jesus. You're dismissed, but we will, we will dig in a little bit deeper than that. And before I even get into our text, I want us just to consider here the backdrop of Peter's denial, because I think it's very easy for us to read this text and be real hard on Peter and think, oh, come on, Peter, I would never do that in my, your situation. How come you would just say you never knew Jesus? And I had to think about this. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes, okay? So we have Jesus, and we have he came to Peter three years ago, called him to be his disciple, that he'd make him fishers, a fisher of men. And we see that Peter... He believes Jesus is the Messiah. He's the first one who actually declares, we see in Scripture, he gives a declaration that you are the Messiah. And so we understand that the Jews thought Jesus was going to be their Messiah. And so imagine your Lord and Savior, you fall for three years. He's calmed the waves. He's fed groups of thousands of people with a few loaves and a few small fish. He's done miracles. He's healed people. He's brought people back from the dead. He's done all these incredible, amazing things He's taught about the kingdom of God. They've seen his power. And then all of a sudden, this dark night, Jesus has been arrested. Judas, one of their own, has betrayed him. And think about this. Jesus should be inside right now, receiving a royal reception by the leaders as they sit at his feet, listening to his teaching. But what are they doing? They have this sham trial. They're seeking to put him to death. They're striking him with their fists. Peter's world here is falling Apart, Everything he's ever known, everything he's ever believed in this past three years seems to be crashing down. Fear is gripping his soul. And to be honest, I can feel for Peter too. I had to appreciate what Josh shared with us even at the beginning of the service because it's funny. That text, just as I was thinking, what are we going to read this morning? The Lord just brought that to mind and I set it on, didn't even think about it. And yet, how often do we find ourselves in situations like Peter we find ourselves in these courtyards of life where we're just fearful. We don't know what's up ahead. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand. I mean, there's hard things going on in this body as well. 
We have a family whose child is going through cancer treatment. We have people in here who are going through cancer treatment. We have people, as was mentioned, who've lost family members. We have people who would love to see their family come to know the Lord. We're wrestling through difficulties, through trials, financial issues, uh, marital problems, relationships with family. We could just go on and on about all these things that can just drive fear into our hearts and our souls, the uncertainty of the future. You know, we see in our government and our nation right now this worry over this virus that's going around. There's just these constant things that seem to be pressing in on our lives for this fear. And I had to think with Peter's declaration of pride, how often are we unwilling to admit our brokenness and our need for the Lord's strength? I think sometimes we can come to church on Sunday and we just put our smiles on, everything's all good, everything's all right. And sometimes we can avoid this brokenness that we have in our lives. And we see how the Lord uses this time in Peter's life to force him to see his brokenness. I like to define words, so we need to define the word deny before we even get into this. So deny simply means to state that one refuses to admit the truth or existence of the truth, or to deny would be a claim not to know someone. So with that in mind, let's start looking here at our text. So verse 66 says, while Peter was in the courtyard, one of the high priest's servants came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, this man from Nazareth. The first observation I had to notice here is Peter is in the courtyard of the high priest's house. He's by this fire warming himself. Who's he with? He's with the people who are part of the household who wanted to put Jesus to death. He's warming himself with them, trying to blend in, trying not to be noticed, doesn't want to be recognized as one who follows Jesus. I was reading that thinking, you know, how often is that me? I'm in the world, I'm called to be in the world, but not of it, but I'm just there standing by the fire trying to blend in, trying not to people to realize that I'm a follower of Jesus because of fear of persecution or repercussion. Now, there's nothing wrong with being around non-believers. We're told in Scripture we're to reach out, that we're to love them where they are, that we're to proclaim the gospel, we're to be witnesses to them. We're not to be standing there by the fire trying to blend in. We are called to be different. We are called to stand out. We are called to be bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if that's going to bring difficulties to our lives. And so we see the servant girl, she says, hey, weren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? And Peter denies it. And I had to think, here's Peter, this rugged fisherman, and he's denying this servant girl, saying, no, so you see Peter, he's, just, he's gripped by fear. He denies it, says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he goes out into the entryway, and Jesus specifically said in Mark that a rooster was going to crow twice before Peter denied him three times. And so as he's out in this entryway, we see from the text in verse 68 that a rooster crowed the first time. And so here we have Peter's warned by this first rooster crowing, and I had to think, in my own life, where is God sending me warnings that I need to heed? Something that the Lord sends in my life to warn me of a path I'm going down that is dangerous, somewhere I shouldn't be, something I shouldn't be doing. And that first rooster crows, and instead of going, wait a minute, well, this is this ringing a bell here, there's something going on, I just ignore it, I don't listen, I don't pay attention to it. And so Peter, he's out there in the entryway. The servant girl is talking to others around here, saying this guy was with Jesus. So they kind of approach him, and he denies it again. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. 
And they continue to talk. And we see there's a time, spat, a time lapse that is being spent here as well. G Peter is there for hours. He's there for a long time. He is not just in and out. These denials are taking period over a long period of time. And that was a challenge to me as well. I was thinking of my own life. Where am I just kind of hanging out in a place that is causing me to sin, that is causing me to stumble into temptation? And I'm just still there. I'm just, I still stay there even though I am opening myself up to sin. We need to be radical in our battle against sin that we are facing in our lives. I know for me, I've been challenged. You know, we have these things called smartphones. We seem to have them all the time. And they can just be time killers. I mean, there's nothing wrong with my smartphone. It's a great tool for the kingdom of God. I use it all the time for different things. I'm lecturing from these notes here from my iPad. But so often I can find myself just killing hours, doing nothing wrong, but just wasting time. And then even though we know from our phones, there's so much we can access so quickly that is wrong and sinful. So how radical we are in taking our battle against sin. The Lord convicted me recently. I was spending too much time on the Stocks app. Nothing wrong with the Stocks app, right? But I was just spending too much time reading the latest headlines. And then sometimes even, you know, we can, stocks should be safe, right? But the images that sometimes come up in those preview images for those things are just, they're evil. They're wicked. They're sensual. They're seductive. And so the Lord challenged me, thinking, you got to delete that from your phone. And I wrestled with that for a while, and I did. I deleted it. So it may be a silly little thing we've seen, but we have to be radical because we face an enemy that wants to destroy us. Satan is not looking to just keep us in these walls and just keep us here. He wants to destroy every one of you in this building. We are in a spiritual war, and so when it comes to where we are in our lives, we have got to be radical in our fight against sin. There's a temptation with the TV, get rid of it. There's a temptation with the internet. Whatever we have to do, wherever those temptations are, we have to be radical in our fights against sin, or we will find ourselves in these situations like Peter for hours and hours and days and months and years where we are just stuck in this rut of sin because we're not willing to take some of those steps to protect our hearts from things in our lives that might be a stumbling block. And so we see this third time that Peter denies Jesus. This crowd comes up, they challenge him. And it's ironic because one of the people we're told in another gospel, in the gospel of John, one of these people who challenges him just happens to be a relative of Malchus. Now, who's Malchus? Malchus is the guy Peter just cut his ear off a few hours before and Jesus healed him. And so here, this relative of Malchus is going, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus in the olive grove? And Peter, he denies this once again, and this time with an oath, and he starts calling down curses upon himself. And this word that's used... In the Greek, it literally means to declare solemnly with direful curses. This is very serious. And I had to think back to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, where he tells his disciples, don't swear, don't give oaths, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And so we see Peter here just in total fear and total worry just denying his Lord and Savior again and again and again. And the third time, he denies Jesus. We're told in another gospel that Jesus looks at him. So Peter denies Jesus the third time. A rooster crows the second time. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter right then and there in that moment. 
And I had to think about that. What was the look that Jesus gave Peter when their eyes met? Here Jesus battered and bruised from the beating he had received, the hard night he was going through the sham trial. And here he and Peter lock eyes in that moment. It was interesting, looking up the Greek word for that word look, it means an earnest looking. It is translated to look upon in Luke twenty two sixty one, and this verb implies a close, penetrating look. Can you imagine a beaten, battered Savior meeting your eyes in that moment of your third denial of Him? You couldn't have anything more dramatic. The one who sees the depths of your soul, and I had to think in that moment, Jesus saw beyond Peter's weakness. Because we see in John 21, which we're going to look at in a moment, in Peter's restoration, what does Peter say when the Lord asks if he loves him? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so I had to think in that moment as their eyes met, was Jesus' look full of condemnation or despite or despising him? I would say no, because we see nothing but love and forgiveness from Jesus in this whole time he's going through, this time heading towards the cross. We see him on Jesus on the cross. We'll see it in a future text here that he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus went to the cross, not because he had to, not necessarily because he wanted to in his own humanness. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to the cross because he loved his disciples, he loved his enemies, he loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were condemning him, he loved Pilate, who was too of a coward to even stand on truth, he loved even Judas who betrayed him, and yes, he loved Peter who denied him as well. And in that moment, Peter remembers Jesus' words, and he just breaks down and weeps. And I had to think about that. When I recognize my sin in my life, does that bring about a godly sorrow which leads to a godly repentance? Because we both see that Judas and Peter, who both denied Jesus, looking at it this week, in cultural context, to deny your rabbi, your teacher, was serious. Peter might as well have been there with Judas betraying Jesus to have then gone on and denied that he didn't even know Jesus three times. So we've got the same people here. We've got Judas who betrayed Jesus. We've got Peter who betrayed Jesus. What was the difference? Because we're both told in Scripture they were sorry for their sin. We see Judas coming and throwing the 30 pieces of silver, saying, I've done wrong. I've betrayed innocent blood. Two guys, two totally different responses. What was the difference? Even though they had that same appearance of responding the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 10 actually speaks to this. We're told in 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 10. For this following reality. It speaks of there is a godly sorrow and there is a worldly sorrow. 7, 8 to 10 says... For even if I grieved you with my letter, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, he had just written them a very hard letter about some sinful things they were dealing with in their church. Paul says, For even if I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it, 
And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, it was yet only for a while. I now rejoice because you were grieved. You were grieved by your sin, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss for us, from us. Key phrase here. For godly grief, godly sorrow, produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Or on the flip side, but a worldly grief, a worldly sorrow, produces death. And we see that in Peter and Judas's response to their sin. Peter's sorrow was godly, and it led him to Jesus. Judas's sorrow was worldly and indeed led to his death, as we see from Scripture of him committing suicide. Is there a godly sorrow in my heart that when I find sin, it drives me to Jesus? And that's the encouragement we have in Scripture. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He, meaning Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin too black, no sin too deep that God can't forgive. I want to speak very clearly to this because there's some people who out there in this world that will teach that there are certain sins that are too big to forgive, that you become too far gone, that you can't be saved. I'm here to tell you, as long as someone is alive, someone is breathing and still in this world, there is hope for salvation, there is hope for restoration, there is hope for repentance. Anyone who would say anything less than that, there is a sin out there that God cannot forgive, that there is a sin that is unpardonable, they are saying that Jesus' blood was not sufficient to cover all our sins. Scripture is very clear that Jesus' blood was more than sufficient to cover any sin. And when you have a knowledge of that, that understands that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient, you don't do what Judas did and run away from Jesus. You do what Peter did and you run towards the Lord. You run to him for cleansing. When you recognize the scripture that says, Romans 8, chapter 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, my sin doesn't make me run from the Lord. When I recognize my sin, I should be running to him for his cleansing. I think it's easy then to kind of forget about Peter until we see Jesus rise from the dead. But think about this. For three days, for three days, Peter lived with the knowledge that he had denied his Lord and Savior. Can you imagine how dark that would have been a time for Peter? Because this isn't like, okay, I recognize my wrong, I can go confess this. Jesus is in the grave for three days. There's no opportunity for Peter to even go and speak to his Lord. So for three days, he had to live with the fact that he had denied his Lord and Savior. And turn over to John 21. I wanted to spend a little bit of time in here this morning because it would be so easy just to go through Peter's denial and say that was horrible, that was terrible. Let's not do that. But we've got to look and see at Jesus' heart of restoration for Peter. So turn over to John chapter 21. we we'll to be looking at verses 15 through 23 about. I'm just going to read it, and we'll just look at how Jesus restores Peter here after Jesus rose from the dead. So it says in verse 15 of chapter 21, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know 
that I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus told him. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. We see the Savior, after his resurrection, take the time to restore Peter and to reassure him of his love for him. As a believer, when you sin, don't run from the Lord. Don't run from God. Run to Jesus Christ. Run to the Savior for cleansing, who died for your sin and for mine. No sin is great enough to separate from you his love. There's nothing that will separate you from his love. We read that in Romans 8 this morning. Such an encouraging passage that reminds us, doesn't matter what we go through in our lives, the difficulties, the challenges, the uncertainties, the wrestlings, nothing can separate us from his love. That is an encouragement as we are called to live holy as God has called us to. That as we wrestle through the sanctification process, becoming more like Jesus day after day, we can be encouraged that when we stumble, when we fall, when we have those hard times and difficulties in our lives, that the Lord will forgive us and that nothing is going to separate us from his, his love. And I'd be remiss not to talk about that, not to ask the question, have you had your sins forgiven? Are you saved? We see in this passage there's nothing more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the gospel message is so simple. I'm telling you, as I keep getting older, I'm more and more amazed at all the places out there that claim to be teaching the gospel that are not teaching it. They're teaching the gospel plus something, the gospel minus something. Well, you've got to believe in Jesus, then you've got to do a bunch of good works. You've got to believe in Jesus, be baptized. You've got to do all these things, or you've got to attend this church. You've got to go to this event you got to dress this way, talk this way, and then you'll be saved. I'm here to tell you this morning, nothing could be farther from the truth. The gospel is so simple, and here's the gospel. We sinned. We've broken God's law. God gave us a law to follow. We could talk about the Ten Commandments. He's given us these rules. We've broke them. We've failed utterly and miserable. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all dishonored God. And because of that, because God is holy, we are separated from his presence. He cannot tolerate the presence of sin. But because God loved us so much, even after rebelling against him, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So far, this has been not, I haven't heard anything about anything I've got to do. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus shed his blood on the cross after living a perfect, sinless life. He rose from the dead. He's seated at God's right hand today. And how is one saved? It's this simple. The gospel tells us all we have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. We repent of our sins, we believe in the Lord, you're saved. It's that simple. Nothing needs to be added, nothing else needs to be done. It's that straightforward. 
Then we could talk about once someone is saved, absolutely, the Lord gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. You're no longer a sinner but a saint. And you are going to follow the Lord. He's going to work in you a desire to please him. Yes, works are a part of salvation. They are evidence of salvation. They have nothing to do with the saving of an individual. And that is such an encouragement to me because I've been a Christian for 18 years. All the sins I remember that I've ever committed were done as a believer. And it's an encouragement to me to remind myself that God is the one who saves me. He's the one who is keeping me saved and secure in him. And someday I will be with him forever in eternity. There is a comfort in that. That when I have moments like Peter where I deny my Lord and Savior, I don't have to just say, Lord, I don't know you. I don't know who Jesus is to deny the Lord. The Lord's been working something on me since I was about 13. I remember there was this kid in our neighborhood. He had all the Nerf guns, all the cool Nerf guns that a kid could have. And some friends and I, we would always like to play with him because it was a lot of fun having all our Nerf wars and everything. But there's one thing this kid did on a regular basis. He took the Lord's name in vain. But you don't really want to say something to the guy who's got all the Nerf guns because if you know, make him mad, what are you going to do? And I remember one day as we were playing with him, one of my, he took the Lord's name in vain, and one of my friends just said, hey, we're Christians, we worship God, we would just appreciate if you wouldn't say that. So simple, wasn't mean about it, wasn't harsh, just said, hey, that's, that's the name of our God, we would appreciate if you wouldn't do that. And in this case, the kid was like, oh, okay, okay, well, he was fine with that. But it's always challenged me, because even 10 years later, I still wrestle with that. We were, I was working at a local store here recently during their holiday rush, and I was working with a couple people who were regularly taking the Lord's name in vain, and I didn't say anything, and there's one reason why. I just wanted to fly under the radar that week, get a paycheck, and be done. I don't want to have to deal with difficulties of having to say something, and you never know how people are going to respond. Maybe they respond like the kid I, I had in my life 10 years ago. Maybe they're going to be hard on you and give you a rough time. You just never know. But think about it. If someone was taking one of our family members' names as a curse word and just regularly saying it again and again, I'd like to say there'd be a point where I'd say, hey, that's one of my family members. I'd appreciate if you wouldn't say that. You know, when it comes to God, we seem to so often let these things just get a free pass. And so I can deny Jesus through that way. If people are taking the Lord's name as a curse word, and I'm not saying anything, I'm doing the same thing Peter did. But when you have the understanding of God's unconditional love, it encourages me that when I recognize my failure, I run to the Lord for cleansing. And I look to him for his strength because this sanctification process is a process. Not until we reach heaven will we be made perfect as our Savior is and have even the presence of sin removed from our lives. So looking at all this, looking at Peter's denial, looking at his pride before his denial, looking at his fear during his denial, and then looking at Jesus restoring him, you know, what is the application? What do we want to walk away with from this text today? I had to think about, you know, fearful Peter. Fearful Peter, the guy who denied Jesus on that night when he was sentenced to death. He's replaced by this bold leader at Pentecost through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as we just read in John 21, Jesus predicted he would die a martyr's death for the Lord he loved. And he did indeed just that. The encouragement to me is the Lord can take 
the most fearful, timid people like you and I, and by the power of the Holy Spirit can make us strong in Him to be bold leaders, to be people who will stand on truth and to live for His glory and praise. But that means something has to happen. I can't be self-sufficient. I can't go into the courtyards of life and think I'm going to do it in my own strength. There has to be a fear of God in my heart that is greater than the fear of what's going to happen if I tell that servant girl, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. So I had to ask myself this week, and I want to ask you, where do you, where do I need God's help to cast off self-sufficiency in our lives and look to the Lord's strength to walk this Christian life? Where do you, where do I need his strength to cast off our dependence on self and look to him for his strength? The second thing I want us to think about and consider as well. Where do you, where do I need to be reminded of God's unconditional love for you and me? Where is there some place in your life you're not running to the Lord for cleansing because you're fearful of whatever? Where do we need to be reminded that God loves us no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how broken we are, no matter the temptations we're facing? Where do we need to be reminded of that? And where do you and I need to be reminded of God's unconditional love for someone in our life? For someone we think is too far gone, someone we don't think the gospel could ever reach? Where do we need to be reminded of God's unconditional love for you and I and for someone else in our life that we're having a hard time loving? Now I really, this week I have to say, I really feel for Peter in this situation of denying Jesus. Everything in his life was falling apart. Everything seemed to be coming crashing down. The Jesus that he had decided to follow seemed to not be the Messiah they thought he was going to be. You know, I can, I, can, I can feel for Peter in that because the past year of my life has been unlike anything I've expected either. Following the Lord has come with a cost. I've lost a lot of my friends. I've lost my best friend, actually, through all this. And in those moments... When those uncertainties come, when those pain, those hurts, those difficulties come, and all of a sudden the Jesus we signed up to follow isn't the one we thought. When all of a sudden following Jesus brings us trials and difficulties and pain, and that family member won't speak to us anymore, or that friend publicly maligns our name and our character, what do we do then? What do you do when this family in our church, like we said, your daughter is diagnosed with cancer? What do you do when you're diagnosed with cancer? What do we do when we lose our job? What do we do when the finances don't seem to be coming in? What do we do when those family members and friends want to reject the gospel? Where do we turn? Do I turn to the Lord? Do I still trust Him? Do we believe that He is our everything as we sang this morning? Do we believe that Jesus is worth our all? We've been promised in Scripture we're going to be persecuted. We're going to receive trials if we follow the Lord. In our, am I and you, are we willing to admit we're broken? Are we willing to come in this building on a Sunday and be honest and say we're struggling, we're hurting, we're all going through some great struggle, coming out of one or going into one? Can we be honest and say we're broken? That we need Jesus, we need a Savior, and I don't got it all figured out. You know, I can come up here in a suit and look like I got it all put together. I don't. 
I don't. I so felt with just appreciate Josh being vulnerable this morning. Because there's all these fears and difficulties we're going through, these things we're wrestling with, these uncertainties in every time of our life. And are we turning to Jesus in the midst of that? So I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to transition here into communion. I would just encourage us, let's prepare our hearts as we just consider what Jesus did for us on the cross. As we remind ourselves of his unconditional love for you and for me. And then as we think about all these uncertainties in life that we're facing, the struggles that we're going through as a body, as individuals, let's just consider what our Savior's done for us. Let's be encouraged in that. And let's look to him for his strength. That when we find ourselves back up against the wall, as Peter did, that we would find that he is able to strengthen us. And when we fail, that he is able to forgive us, to cleanse us, to draw us closer to him. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I just I thank you for the example that you've given us here in your word. I thank you that your word is truthful and honest about the failures of people that we so often can see as larger than life. The failures of Peter, the failures of the other disciples. That even though they abandoned you and, and ran away and denied you, and that you never stopped loving them. I thank you that we can take heart in this as I wrestle through temptations and sins and difficulties in my life and the uncertainties that I know that you are there and that when we stumble and fall, I just pray that we'd run to you for cleansing, that we'd run to you and be encouraged that uh, you will forgive us. Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would not leave this building today without making that decision, Lord. Yes, Lord, following you is hard. It's difficult. There are times we wonder if it's even worth it, but we thank you that it is, and we thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you're working all things for the good of those who love you. May we keep our eyes turned to you. May you be glorified as a family in Christ. We pursue you together. In Jesus' name.